Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always, be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. I can hardly believe we've already arrived at the tail end of my exploration of Psycho sequels, which, if I'm being honest, has been a more fruitful endeavor than I was expecting. While I've largely come around to the sequels, the notion of anything holding a candle to Hitchcock's original film is laughable on paper. But his sequels have proven time and time again, Exploring established series through a new lens can often result in entertaining value. And to the credit of Mick Garris's 1990 made-for-TV movie Psycho 4 The Beginning, this feels like somewhat of a fitting send-off for the matricide maniac Norman Bates. Written by Joseph Stefano, the screenwriter of the original Psycho, and Anthony Perkins' final performance as Norman Bates, the film begins with Norman once again being released into the wild. And boy has he been busy, having married to, get this, a psychiatrist. The film begins with Norman calling into a radio station, having a roundtable discussion about matricide, and what ensues is a trip down memory lane of Norman's origins, showing flashbacks of his first kill prior to the original film. And joining me once again to chat about this week's film is returning friend of the show and the host of the Nuclear Fridge podcast, Ethan Paget. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Glad to be back. Yeah, and it's a quick turnaround for you this time. So, you know, last time... Uh, we chatted about Psycho 2, which was originally supposed to be a made-for-TV sequel, and now you're back to talk about an actual made-for-TV sequel, uh, that being Psycho 4. So yeah, man, always love having you on the show to chat, and um, I think, you know, while in the past, and we even joked about it last time, um, you know, we talked a lot about, like, Rob Zombie movies, but now we're talking about a series and kind of getting to see Psycho in different, not only decades, but also, you know, the further removed that it is from, you know, the first sequel, which I think is probably considered to be the best sequel. It's going to, I think it's going to be interesting just to kind of like chat about the different iterations, if you will, but also like this film has a pretty unique narrative structure to it uh, compared to the previous ones. Yeah. And we'll discuss why this one didn't quite make the cut to be a real theatrical movie (laughs) in an age where TV movies meant something about the movie. Uh, it's it's definitely it's no psycho two. We'll start off with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess to set the stage a little bit, so this film has heavily, you know, focusing on flashbacks, right, to show us acts in Norman's life, you know, his first kill and some of his earliest kills that occurred before the original Psycho. So, you know, apparently California has a pretty lenient policy when it comes to matricide cases. And they've once again, you know, uh, paroled Norman. Um, And he, I suppose, has gotten lonely at night one night and calls into a radio station that is having a discussion about matricide cases and whatnot. And so Norman calls in as a a guest caller named Ed, which I thought was appropriate, Um, you know, Ed Gein reference right off the bat. Um, And then Norman kind of like wants to sort of almost like spill his soul, if you will, or what's left of it uh, to this audience that's listening, that's, you know, clearly captivated. Uh, You even have, you know, Dr. Richmond, even though he's been recast, who is his psychiatrist in the second film, is on that panel talking Norman and whatnot. 
Um, but then that kind of acts as the hub, I suppose, that you have these moments where you're having Norman chatting with these specialists and whatnot, but then at the same time, you're getting these flashbacks to, like I said, kills that occurred before the original Psycho, and there's even a moment um, after, I think it was between Psycho 3 and Psycho 4 is when there's one of the kills. Um, but what did you think about that approach for just the narrative structure of Psycho 4? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting approach because... Um, I mean, especially of that time, I feel like a lot of flashback type movies were well suited for TV. Um, I feel like there are a ton of them. Um, but, uh, it's, it's an interesting approach to the storytelling because Psycho isn't necessarily something where I think of like one, two, and three, which I would love to talk to you about three for a second. Remember when I said they do something really stupid in Psycho 3 that kind of retcons something in Psycho 2? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> How stupid was <laughs> was them going, no, no, Norma was actually Norman's mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was so stupid. <laughs> yeah, they kind of realized, I think, like, oh, no, this is actually completely ridiculous. We have to kind of retcon this, and then they do it in this way that's just like, yeah, we'll just completely disregard that previous film, which, you know, I enjoyed Psycho 3, I think, more than some people have. But um, at the same time, like, again, don't want to ever find yourself comparing yourself to a, uh, you know, a better film. Yeah, Psycho 3 is Psycho 3. I like Psycho 3. It's 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 not it's not as bad as it gets. But um, when I was talking about Psycho 4 and its like approach to its storytelling, it's an interesting decision um, because I don't really care that much i mean they even approached it with the recent tv series which was quite good um they they show you how norman became psycho and that's like why well, i don't care <laughs> like why why would i want to see that like you don't want to see how leatherface became leatherface you don't want to see how michael be well i mean like i guess my how michael became michael rob zombie did a pretty good job with it but like it's it's not something that I you care to see. So it's an interesting approach that way. Um, and I think um, my opinion of this movie um, is that I think the cast is fantastic. I think um, Anthony Perkins isn't at his best, but he's Anthony Perkins. And he's uh, a- appropriately weird and off-putting. Um, but you've got guys like, uh, you got Henry Thomas as young Norman, who I think is a great young Norman. Um, and that's kind of his start of horror where he, now he's like a, um, on the back of, uh, Mike Flanagan, he's doing all this different horror stuff. He, he's, he's doing a lot of great stuff. Um, but then you also have CCH Pounder who's playing Fran Ambrose, the DJ who's talking to Michael, you have Warren Frost, who's playing Dr. Richmond, like you said. Um, and Warren Frost is the best. I It's a bummer he's only in the movie for as long as he is, because I, I love Warren Frost. For all those Seinfeld and Twin Peaks fans out there, um, he's fantastic. Uh, and then and then you have, like, just a fucking, like, great performance by Olivia Hussey, who's just so fucking good in this movie. She's fantastic in general. Absolute fucking... Uh, just great actress, just a beauty, just fucking perfect on all fucking 
counts. Like she's fantastic. And she's really the part of this movie that like, this is why you watch psycho Four. this. It's like Olivia Hussey is excellent as a, like, um, like she's definitely hamming it up. I don't think this movie is trying to like win any Oscars, but she's so good in the flashbacks where it goes from like, um, her and Norman, um, being very lovey dovey and very nice, but then it flips on a dime and it becomes very scary the way she treats Norman from one moment to another. Um, because she keeps giving, she keeps giving Norman boners and she doesn't like that, (laughs) but she's also not trying to not give him boners. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, it's it's a really great performance um and uh yeah she she she's awesome um but uh but then that's kind of all the movie is like that's that's all it's really got it's not it's not a super interesting narrative it's not very compelling you you don't you're never like oh what's gonna happen um but it's got a lot of cool little things in it that i think make it worth watching for psycho fans. And I know a lot of psycho fans love this one the most out of all the movies, which is kind of wild. I know Stephen King and Steven Spielberg both think this is the best psycho sequel, um, which is, is, is wild. Um, yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> Especially after two. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, I mean, maybe like on a revisit, they might rethink that, but like, I don't know when they did, de- they declared this, but they were like, yep, this is the best one. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, I mean, I, I I like little things like um, like uh, Kurt Paul, who is uh, Tony Perkins' stunt double in two and three. He plays the mother killer, the first mother killer who's on the radio, um, which is like that's that's just like a cool little like horror tidbit for for dorks yeah. like you and me. Um, <laughs> He also would go on to play, or actually previous to this, um, there was a psycho film that was made for TV that was just called Bates Motel. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think it was 86 or 87. And he plays Norman because that's the only one that, you know, Anthony Perkins was like, yeah, I'm not going to do a made for TV movie and then ended up making a made for TV movie. Um, (laughs) He's also in a show called Sledgehammer, which is about a police officer. um, And he plays a coroner named Norman Blates. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is so stupid very very subtle reference though yeah it, it's phenomenally stupid which i think you know is half how i would describe this film but at the same time you know as you had referenced like everyone is hamming it up and i think that even the you know mick garris uh obviously knows what he's working with here and doing the fourth psycho film and whatnot and there is a lot of very, very stupid dialogue in this movie. And just the overall predicament of the entire film is completely nonsensical, right? I think this is now like the fourth time that, or the third time rather, that Norman's been released. And, you know, not only is he released, but he's married now to the psychiatrist whose care he was under at the psych ward that he was imprisoned in or held in. Um, and, you know, is now contemplating being a father in these things. Like, it's a film that I think doesn't necessarily take itself all that seriously, gr- granted just because of the premise that I just mentioned. But I think that overall, like 
Mick Garris does a pretty decent job of kind of at least keeping it on the tracks in a way that it's kind of like, I mean, I could almost see this being like a low budget theatrical, um, but at the same time, you know, I don't find it to be very compelling, like you mentioned. Um, I think that it also kind of gives the answer to the question, like, do we really care about these specific examples that show why Norman Bates is why he became Norman Bates. And it's like, yeah, this is pretty much what I expected would have been happening to, you know, push him over the edge to have that split personality and go on these murderous rampages that he's been going on. And to your credit, you know, it really is those performances. This film is those performances. It's not a terribly long film, but I think that if you did not have the talent involved in this, I would have tuned out maybe 30 minutes into it. Um, You know, I think that there is... Just enough of Anthony Perkins, and granted, this was also the time when he was um, diagnosed with HIV, and so you know he was dealing with an illness and then having to go get treatments and things like that. So I would imagine it was somewhat of a disjointed, uh, you know, production in that regard. But at the same time, there isn't a great deal of him to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to watch this just for Anthony Perkins. Granted, again, he's not in a lot of it, so the fact that they had Henry Thomas. And Olivia Hussey, who I think are the reason to watch this movie. Uh, they really do such a fantastic job of taking situations that are not all that original uh, or that all that creative in terms of like what pushed him over the edge. And they make it in the moment, you know, very thrilling and emotionally engaging uh, in a way that, you know, everything outside of those two is just not able to really contend with. Yeah. Um, the The whole radio interview is like a really interesting like storytelling conceit like it's 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 like you tell me that and i go oh yeah that's interesting and this isn't super compelling um and i i i mean there's probably a way to do it um but like like the tv show that comes years and years later with uh vera farmiga and um God, what's his name? Freddie Longhouse or whatever. <laughs> what's his name? The guy from not, the Good Doctor. I just know him as the guy from the Good Doctor. I've not seen Bates Motel. Freddie Highmore. Uh, Freddie Highmore. Yep. <laughs> Longhouse. Um, <laughs> yeah, like it's just. Uh, I feel like the 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 radio show is making a mystery out of something that is like not a mystery to anyone watching. Um, <laughs> like it's kind of neat that um that like dr richmond from the original movie who has the worst who gives the original movie the worst ending ever um before the real (laughs) ending where he's just like let me tell you like here's here's me talking for what feels like a half an hour about norman bates psychological makeup (laughs) um but like it's also really weird because there's a moment in the movie where He's like, uh, oh yeah, uh, I I dealt with with someone uh, in the thirty years ago, uh, and he and uh, it was this thing, and then this this and this. But he also refers to that event as the time a girl got killed in a shower, and it's just like, yeah. why would a doctor He's... say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, a doctor would say like, oh, uh, the uh, Janet Lee's character murder, like. He wouldn't be like uh, the event where a girl was killed in a shower. It's like that's only right. said like that so that people can make the connection. 
<laughs> it's just so silly. He, he also has like no bedside manner when he's trying to converse with Norman oh, at all. Yeah. It's almost like it's like they pulled him out of retirement after like 30 years of him just like drinking on his porch. He just like has no wherewithal with how to discuss the case. He's seemingly forgetful of the history of what was probably his most famous patient of all time. Yeah. And then he kind of just like disappears. And I totally agree, you know, in terms of the radio interview as a vehicle for the story, I think that it's kind of brilliant. If, you know, this series is on its last leg and everything. This makes the most sense, you know, in terms of like Anthony Perkins reprising that role for the final time. It's kind of like, yeah, at this point, he's, you know, he's dealing with an illness and he's also getting up in age sort of. So it's like, are we really going to have this guy be able to not only seduce, but entice women to the degree that he can get in close quarters and kill them and whatnot? Not really. So the fact that they use this as like, oh, he's going to, you know, be recalling these memories. And then at the same time, he's going to be, you know, I guess, unpacking those memories in real time uh, with the radio show. It's like, that's great. I think that that's a really smart sort of structure for this film. It's just that the moments in the interview themselves are not all that interesting, uh, despite the fact that, you know, CCH, uh, is it CCH Pounder or CHH Pounder? CCH Pounder. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of hers, despite the fact I couldn't remember her name. Apologies. Um, but, you know, her in The Shield is probably one of the best aspects of that series and is never not giving a terrific performance in that. And, you know, I think here she works with what she's got, but it's not much. It's not a great deal of, you know, uh, I suppose, character personality other than the the usual thing of like, oh, I work for the radio. I need to get ratings. Like that whole thing that, you know, you even get a, a uh, John Landis cameo where, of course, all he cares about are the numbers and whatnot. Speaking of killers, uh, is, there's a John yeah. Landis <laughs> Very on brand for our man John Landis. Um, but yeah, you know, overall, the actual flashbacks themselves, it's just like it answers that question of did you need an explanation? No. Whatever, you know, everything that you learn about Norman through the first film and then, you know, going into the second film and the third film, it's kind of like, yeah, you can kind of just like paint your own history for what he was like before the first film because of, you know, the countless examples you got in the first three movies. And so the fact that, you know, they kind of make this show of being like, oh, here's his first kill. Here's actually killing his mother and her lover and this and that. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, this is basically exactly what you expected it to be, but it is those performances. And that was the big tell for me very early on was just like, yeah, you know, is Henry Thomas, who at this point is like a very young actor, is he going to be able to kind of not only be have his performance contrasted against Anthony Perkins in this in this film, but at the same time, like, is he going to be able to capture those mannerisms as well as Anthony Perkins, or at least, you know, be able to do it in a way where it doesn't feel like a bad Anthony Perkins or uh, impression? Yeah, and I, I think he does a pretty damn good job. Um, I, I, I mean, like, there's so much about this film that's like also painted by the fact that he was diagnosed and started treatment for, uh, HIV. Um, or I, th I think he was diagnosed with AIDS at that, this point. Um, and so it's like, ah, his performance isn't great. So it's like, ah, but w w like what was going through his head? Also like Mick Garris. I know, I know that Meg Tilly was like, did not get along with Anthony Perkins during psycho two, um, which is a bummer. So maybe this is more indicative of 
his difficulty um, on set. But apparently Mick Garris was like, he's the most difficult actor I've ever worked with. Um, and um, it, it's hard to tell what's what if, if you know, if, if he was more difficult because he was going through something that's like, at the time is a complete death sentence. Um, so uh, his... La his weaker performance in this movie compared to even like Psycho 3 um which I think has some like pretty emotional moments for me when watching him um oh yeah and it, it, it's so it's like I it, it, I think that makes it a little easier for Henry Thomas to like be able to do his own thing but still feel like Norman um and uh I, I just think all of the scenes with Henry Thomas hooking up with a woman is fucking hilarious because yeah. <laughs> what, <laughs> what woman finds norm is like, yeah, I want to hook up with this guy. Um, but apparently, Hey, listen, he's apparently the tongue King of Fairvale, California, because <laughs> <laughs> that woman says you've got a tongue, like an elephant's yeah. memory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like every time I watch that, I, I, I think, I think, up until this wa most recent watch, I always thought, oh, because it's long. <laughs> but then I'm like, oh, wait, that's probably not it. Because an elephant's memory isn't long. And an elephant's memory never forgets. So she's saying that the tongue just, he never stops with his tongue. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to say right here, like I said, we are decreeing that he is the tongue king of Fairvale, California. Um, I will co-sign that. Congratulations, Norman Bates. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, I think this movie definitely solidifies that Norman uh, could pull throughout the decades. But, uh, you know, I think that something that you just mentioned, you know, that line, there are so many interesting lines of dialogue in this movie that, you know, half of them, I'm like, okay, this is very hammy and silly and goofy. And then the other half, I'm like, oh, that's actually like kind of a good line that, is almost a look into Norman and his personality and it's credit to Henry Thomas and how well he's able to capture what makes Anthony Perkins performance so well, uh, so, you know, uh, memorable, I think in terms of just like, yeah, he's a killer, but then it's more about, you know, his awkward tics and mannerisms, which, you know, we talked about, uh, when we chatted about psycho two and, you know, one of the lines early on when that first girl, comes up to him at the motel and she's like, and it's fireworks and whatnot. She starts hitting on him and she says, uh, do fireworks get you hot? Which I thought was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> just I, a very, I have that just written a very down. funny, like <laughs> yeah, of the uh, period line. And Norman's just like, not inordinately. So like, I yeah. love that line because it's just like so precise. And I think she even makes a comment like you speak funny or something like that. Um, but then, you know, that has almost a similar, almost sort of a callback Later on, when he walks in and his mother is with her new lover that she met at a bar uh, and who has probably the most laughable name in the entire series of Chet Rudolph. Oh, yeah. Which just sounds like the biggest scumbag asshole name out there. But he loves you know, toast. The mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who's that? Who's ever said, hmm, good toast? <laughs> who's ever like, damn, this is some good toast, man. <laughs> So oh Jesus! That's such an awkward interaction too, because it's like, he, I think even Norman's like, take off my father's robe, and then he's like, well, I'm not wearing any underwear, so yeah. you only you're only naked around a lady when you're gonna screw him or something. He's got yeah. some he, some classy he, line he, that he drops, and it's just like I, he this says, is so you, you, on the nose. You only and ever want to be naked around a woman when you're having sex; otherwise, it's yeah. just not respectful. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> good toast. 
so just stupid. It's so stupid. And it's one of those interactions where it's just like, did we really need to have a whole scene about this to show that this scumbag like is going to be in Norman's life now and is going to be bullying him to the degree that Norman decides like, this is the final straw. I'm going to kill them both. Um, but there's that scene right before he poisons them where he goes into the room and, you know, they're lying in the bed together and his mother who, you know, gets upset when she gives him boners. And yet there's like three or four scenes where she purposefully is trying to do so, which is kind of like that portrayal of her sort of having this split borderline personality or losing her mind, I suppose. Um, and he, she's like, what do you think of my kimono? And he's like, it's lurid. Like, yeah. <laughs> just little lines like that. I love because, you know, it so perfectly captures a, what you would imagine a young Norman to be somebody that is like, very repressed, very sort of vulnerable, but at the same time is like so much smarter than everybody else that's around him. And at the same time, like everybody thinks he's probably an idiot because he's so quiet and shy and this and that. But like, it kind of just shows this awkwardness of his own is more like just a defense mechanism, if anything. Yeah. I, uh, speaking of like Norman and his mother, which I guess we've been speaking of them the whole episode, but um, <laughs> they're the best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, you, you speaking about lines that you liked reminded me that there are there are some like nice shots in this movie. I feel like it's pretty flat most of the time, um, but I I like the thing that stands out the most to me is um, the scene where Norman is where is a baby. And his mom, they're having like a picnic and it starts raining. Like that whole scene is like wild and magical. And it kind of makes you, um, it kind of makes you feel for Norman in the way that he, I don't think he actually thinks there's anything wrong with his mom. Like in terms of like being a bad mother. Cause I might, I might just be like glazing over it in my mind just to like fit my narrative. But to me, like he even talks about how like, oh, well, uh, my mother, um, she, she was, she was, a, she was a magical woman or something like that. When Pete, when he's kind of pushed on, wow, she wasn't very nice. He's like, Oh, well, but that's, that wasn't really her. And it's, and it's this, this beautiful, like almost childhood memory he has of his mom. Um, I mean, whatever. I, I don't, I'm not a mom. I, I mean, I, maybe it's just because I know that she's Norma Bates and she's like, oh, like, lurching over her child and I'm like oh there's gonna be some incestuous emotion manipulation coming up with these two but like it's like this like beautiful childhood moment where she's looking down on him and he like and the shot is literally of like his view of like the hair and it's not perfect but it's what you would actually see I don't know I like that a lot I did think it was funny when it showed Norman though as a baby when he's getting water all over his face because they're they're probably just dumping water on this kid's face during <laughs> filming, uh, and he looks so just a big bucket on a ladder. Yeah, and he looks upset. Like he doesn't <laughs> look like he's having a good time. <laughs> but it's a good, it's a great little moment that I think shows you Norman's point of view of his mom. I think that that's a great point because that almost speaks to you know him kind of like being this traumatized, abused person that is trying to recall these memories. And it's like, he has these brief snapshots that, you know, are, and that's why they are portrayed as like these angelic moments almost. Um, and yet the reality is, is that, you know, you start to see her gradual decline into her own mental illness and whatnot. And it's like, well, yeah, the moments that he thinks about when he thinks of his mother, that people, when they mention her, it's like, oh, it's, 
that moment when they were outside and got caught in the rain or whatnot, or this and that, which is like these little moments. But then, of course, they gradually become more, uh, you know, abusive, I would say, like when he's at his father's funeral uh, and she's like purposefully tickling him. And then he has this outburst and she like scolds him uh, and tells him to respect the dead. But, you know, actually pause for that for a second. It, it is so fucking hilarious to me that his father dies from bee stings. Like what is what, oh, what yeah. is the relevance of that? I thought that was going to like c- come into play more or something. That he was like, afraid oh, of the bees. Mother, yeah. Well, that or like the mother knew he was allergic to bees. So she, I don't know, hit a, a honeycomb or a hive or whatever when he was out there trimming hedges. And then it's just like, no, he just got stung to death by bees. And it was like, okay, we'll just move on from that, I guess. Yeah. It, that was definitely a weird one. Yeah. There, there are a few weird things in this movie. Um, but I mean, and even further to that point, like, um, of of Norman's idea of his mother is that he is very adamant. No, no, this is genetic. Like, it's been proven. Everyone thinks so. It's like, well, the actual medical professional in your life doesn't. Like, the doctor on the radio show doesn't because he's, you know, associating himself with someone who got out of, um, got out of, uh, the rehab center wherever he went, um. So it's, it's like Norman is very much like, no, this is genetic. And I guess that gets into like the, the, I guess the arc of the movie, the, the reason this movie is happening, um, is that he fully believes that his problem, his, um, trauma and, um, mental health issues are all genetic. Like this is, he was always going to kill his mom because she she gave birth to someone who's fucked up like, um, and that's not the case. Um, obviously like, uh, uh, you see what his mother does to him. Like, um, you dirty little pig. Like, I love that. Um, and he's like, Oh, Oh, you're going to forget about that dirty little thing of yours. And it's like, is she talking about his dick? I like, <laughs> yeah. and she's, she's like, like, that's only making, that's only for making wee wee or something. Yeah, which that's is only just for like, making wee wee. The way she phrases that is like, oh my God, it's so uncomfortable. Like, here you go, put this but, on. Yeah, yeah, you're a girl, a beautiful little girl. And it's like, man, <laughs> like a lesser actress would make this like, you'd be fucking like, this is stupid. Like, this is so dumb. But like mm-hmm. Olivia Hussey sells it, and you really believe <laughs> her convictions when she's yeah. uh, in those fits. It's 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 wild. You know, I think that it is such a testament to her performance that she's able to take something that could have just been, you know, somebody that was like, well, Norma Bates would just be hysterical the entire time to everything. But the fact that she's able to capture that sort of ebb and flow that you know, while I haven't dealt with uh, people that have a great deal of mental illness, it's the thing where it's like, she's able to capture both sides of it so well. And it's kind of like sneaks up on you to the degree that it's like, oh, I imagine that's what it would be like to be one moment to moment, especially, you know, she's supposed to be portraying somebody with uh, split personality. And it's like, oh, yeah, in one minute, she is this, you know, angelic figure from you know, your childhood and whatnot and those memories. But then, you know, you see the next moment where she's chastising him because the highway is being built further away from Bates Motel. And then all of a sudden it turns into this, her disparaging him and saying like, oh, well, you know, I should have had an abortion and gotten rid of you. uh, And you tried to kill me on your way out. And now I like my insides are messed up or something like the way in which she's able to go from 
those sort of angelic moments to these more over the top moments. But at the same time, it's not just like the sort of typical hysterical portrayal of mental illness. It's like, oh no, this is actually informing us, you know, the direct attacks on him and whatnot and how that plays into their relationship um, that I think really just goes to show that despite the fact that this was, you know, the lowest budget of any of the movies and it was made for TV and all of these things, like if you get the right people in the right roles, then you can have a film that, you know, while we haven't exactly been, uh, you know, talking about like specific moments that were awesome or memorable or this or that, it's like, it's still engaging because of those performances, which I think, you know, is a pretty good credit to that movie. And um, I think that sometimes you get slasher sequels or sequels in horror films where it's like, you can't really say that. Usually it's the other way around, right? It's not, oh, you have to, you should watch this or you could sit through this and enjoy it at times because of the performances. It's usually because, oh no, there's this awesome splatter kill or something like that, um, which I think is probably just a testament to Mick Garris having a background in TV. I don't know. I feel like when you're going through, t- whether it's made for TV movies or just working on series and whatnot, I feel like the parts almost move a lot faster at times. And it's kind of like him being able to pull the right people in for certain aspects of it. Um, despite the fact, again, it was this low budget affair is what allowed this to be as engaging, I suppose, even if the narrative itself is pretty bland and the kills are pretty bland. Um, but you did have somebody fall down the stairs again, which you can't make a psycho movie without that. Yeah. And for the first time, it was Norman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. It's Getting a, a taste of his own medicine. It's such a funny fucking fall, too. Um, yeah, he's terrible at burning down houses. Like, he's yeah. really bad at it. Like, it, <laughs> he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. He starts at the top of the building. <laughs> so that, like, shit is burning and falling down downstairs as he's, like, almost finished upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> what a dummy. I did love that my buddy and I were watching it. We were just like, uh, I guess he's just trying to like redecorate the top floor of his house because that's not how you burn a house down. Yeah. I never burnt a house down. <laughs> like I've never ever even thought of burning a house down, but I know you don't start at the top. It's so fucking funny, dude. He he's such a goofball. Um, what a what well, a little rascal. Like in, in a scene like that, where you know the final act, I think is probably the weakest part of the film for me because of how drawn out it is and how predictable it is at this point. Cause it's like, yeah. Okay. Norman's doesn't want to have kids. His wife got pregnant, which he blames her for, despite the fact that it's like, I mean, there's two parts of that equation. Right. And so, you know, you have Norman basically taking her back to the house and wanting to kill her and whatnot to end his bloodline essentially. And then I like the fact that, you know, it has him face his ghosts, if you will, his past. Right. Because you have him quite literally seeing apparitions of people he's murdered, his mother and whatnot, which I thought was like an interesting sort of culmination for that scene, which makes sense of like, oh, he's quite literally killing his demons. But then the entire sequence is so drawn out and it's kind of just like, yeah, it's like he chases her around. He doesn't kill her. He almost kills himself burning the house down. And then he kind of just like walks off into the sunset, which I thought was like the most hilarious ending to Norman Bates' saga. I get that like, Again, it's a made-for-TV movie, but it was like, you guys don't have anything a little more definitive in the tank than that for Norman? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, have we even said what, like, why Norman is killing in this movie? Like, what is the point? Have we even said that yet? I don't think so, no. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, all right. Well, before we say that, 
Um, I thought the house was really weird. Like, um, this, so this is like the first, this is the, I think the only, well, who knows about the Bates Motel and all the other weird stuff, but it's the only Psycho movie not filmed on the Hollywood backlot. It's filmed in the Florida backlot. And it it like, it it looks bizarre to me, man. I don't like it. It it looks, it looks like, it doesn't even look like the Bates house. The hotel is like fine, but like, it looks too green. It just like, that's not the house. That's you also the see the motel for like 30 seconds in one scene. And yeah, the house itself, um, I guess, you know, I noticed like the layouts are a little bit different, but I also didn't like the fact that it looks like this kind of like, I don't know, it's such a minor criticism, but they've got um, like a seating area outside and then it looks like it's well-maintained and everything. And it's like, it needs to be, in my mind, less polished. It needs to be like clearly indicative of a larger problem of it being run down in these things to sort of like be the indication that even if Norman himself won't allow him to see, you know, the declining health of his mother and their relationship and whatnot, like she's dealing with a lot. The woman probably does not have a lot of time to, you know, take care of the property and whatnot because it just, it seems like, oh, this is a little too clean cut, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Whereas it would have been a stronger indication of Norman's just uh, resistance to actually viewing the truth of the actual situation that they're in and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was just looking up um, photos of the house um, that they did for the TV series. Cause it, it, it was like 20 minutes from where I am right now. Um, I never got to see it in person, but man, it looks fucking good. I'm going to send you, I'll send you this video after there's just something about the house and like I've never thought of the house as being white, um, and like I, I'm I'm sure it's like oh look it's white it used to be a nice house, um, but like I, I was just like nah, don't do that, <laughs> don't do that it looks bad, it doesn't even really give me the psycho vibes you know. Yeah, what do you think of you know originally I think it was Anthony Perkins' suggestion that you know the Universal eventually shot down, but. Um, he wanted to film all the flashback scenes in black and white. What do you think of that? If they had gone with that decision, uh, yeah, I mean, I like it when people get a little stylish with that stuff, but like, not it's it's not really a thing that I feel would have made it better. Like, it's it's, I I don't know. They it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't really speak to me as something that would have like improved those scenes. Um, I mean, I get it. Psycho black and white. I feel like psycho is like associated with black and white at this point, but like, yeah, I, 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 I some, some of, uh, some of Tony Perkins suggestions are kind of silly. He did. He did do a cool suggestion, which was, um, him snapping the apple in half he like originally he was supposed to like just take a butcher knife and cut an apple but he's like "Ah, that's stupid i'm like you're right (laughs) you're right tony it is stupid (laughs) just be like slap (laughs) um he also like the the original plot for psycho 4 um do you know about it um it was supposed to be that he what is it he kills an impersonator of himself that is on the back lot that basically it's like a tourist attraction and then steals our identity or something. Yeah. So he, he basically, um, 
they they've turned the Bates Motel in the house into a um into a like tourist spot for like horror tourist fans and and they're like in world like this is where someone died like you know those those dark tourism shows um and then i guess uh norman bates escapes and then he's like well i'm going back home because i'm out of here uh and when he gets there the guy who was playing him i guess quit or something um i def i mean maybe he gets killed by norman if if they went with the movie but um, and then they hire norman to play norman uh and like i i kind of i like that like that sounds funny and fun um yeah i'm i'm i i i I don't i don't dislike psycho 4 but i would have liked to have seen that psycho 4 too i feel like when you're doing the fourth film in a series that you know the fact that they even made one sequel let alone they're on their third is like amazing considering you know again building off of that uh, legacy of the original psycho have a little more fun with the fourth entry in the film fourth entry in the series and i think that they even tried to do something somewhat similar with psycho 2 where it was along the lines of like norman is institutionalized again and then he finds out that they turn the house into a theme park attraction or something like that so he breaks out of jail basically to go kill people that go to see it or something along those lines and it's like I don't know about that for the second film, but I feel like, again, when you're in the fourth film of a series, it's like, have a little more fun with it. Yeah. You you can get a little, you can, if you're going to have your actors hamming it up as much as they do and the dialogue is very hammy and whatnot and the situation is hammy, you know, he's married a psychiatrist and she's going to have his killer baby potentially. um, It's like, I don't know, get a little looser with it. You don't have to take it as seriously, uh, I suppose. But then again, when you have these actors that are able to really elevate the source material, which, you know, it's pretty weak, to be honest. Um, it's like, I might be asking almost a little too much of them to then be like, yeah, we're going to have you be in this zany spinoff sequel. Um, because then if you go that zany direction, I don't think you get those performances out of Henry Thomas and Olivia Hussey. Yeah. And honestly, I, if, if I, I would have liked to have just seen like young Norman Bates with Olivia Hussey, like just give us that movie. Um, yeah, yeah Absolutely. And do more interesting things with that. Um, yeah. Oh, Psycho 4 is is definitely a uh, black sheep in the, in the Psycho series, in my opinion, anyway. I guess that's that's not saying much because I, th- I feel like every movie is kind of like a black sheep in the Psycho franchise because it's, it's so like... They've all been wildly different. Yeah. I think that that's what I'm, that's my big takeaway from getting through the sequels um, is that each one of them has a very distinctly different approach, which I appreciate. I'm not going to say each one of them was necessarily always successful at everything that they tried, primarily this film, but I think that that's something that I can appreciate more about the Psycho series than some other horror series that have these sequels where it's like, we're going to do the same thing for the next three movies the budget's just going to get better and the gore is going to get better, which I can appreciate. I've appreciated plenty of films like that. But with Psycho, it's nice to see something distinctly different, whether that is, you know, what I just said, which was like improved practical work and whatnot, bigger budget, better, you know, cast and whatnot, or it's just these different narrative directions, like going from the original, obviously, to then the second one, which is this kind of intricate whodunit, to then the third one, which I kind of described as being this 
almost like sweaty manic cousin to like Texas Chainsaw Massacre almost because of just like how sleazy and how dirty and grungy that movie gets at times. And then you have this, which takes this interesting narrative structure of like the flashbacks and showing us the beginning and whatnot. It's just the type of thing, though, I guess when you're taking that big of a swing, it's not always going to land, right? Yeah. Tony Perkins is like such an interesting performer because like he is this like an extremely iconic character and he he reminds me a lot of like a Donald Pleasance like I wonder if if Tony Perkins had lived um would he be as dedicated to Psycho as someone like Donald Pleasance is dedicated to Halloween um Mm. and if like watching these movies it feels like it um I know that he was like very much like I want to direct Psycho 3 or I'm not returning and they were all right all right all right and he's like all right I want to direct Psycho 4. They're like, absolutely not. We watch Psycho 3. You're just Norman. <laughs> um, but like, to me, it feels like he, he really did like embody the character. And like, as much as like, I enjoyed the Bates Motel show, um, like Anthony Perkins is Norman. Like, it's just, you, you can't separate the two in my opinion he he, no absolutely not the weirdness the way he acts he's just such a weirdo in especially in psycho 3 and psycho 4 and uh quite a bit in psycho 2 just the way he talks how it's like not it's it's not a a normal cadence of speech like he's like there's that scene in psycho 3 where um the um I can't remember what part. I need to rewatch that. I wish I rewatched that while rewatching these two. But there's a part where basically his love interest in Psycho 3 is talking about the mess she made in the bathroom or something like that. Mm. Oh, and, yep. And and he's very much like, oh, I, I've seen worse. But like, yeah. he's like, <laughs> you see, he's like very human. Like there's, there's a human inside mm-hmm. that man that is yeah. like clawing to get out. And it's, it's really mm-hmm. fucking tragic that in Psycho 4, like, for as boring and for as, like, plain Jane as it is, like, it still shows you that, like, man, Norman Norman really still needs fucking help, dude. Well, that's why I found 3 to be so much more enjoyable than I was expecting it to be. You know, I think some people were like, well, the love interest is kind of silly. This is a serial killer. We're in on that gag. But really, it does reveal what you're saying in that this is somebody that you know, at the end of the day, like has been dealing with so much abuse and this, you know, this illness of his that it's like when you see that brief glimmer of what he could be like if he did not have this sort of background, or it's almost also that scene that you mentioned is such a great scene because it's kind of difficult almost to interpret it. It's like at one point, is that just somebody making an offhand joke or is it him in a moment like taking gleeful pride in the past action of his and whatnot and it's like it dances between this kind of like awkward middle ground almost that only the audience is in on and i think that that is a really great example of him breaking out of those awkward molds or awkward sort of just like instances that he has pretty frequently um, that show a side of him that can be like playful or can be kind of coy and whatnot and i just find that that is a much more interesting and memorable aspect of his character that 
I don't know if you could really explore much more of that because then it kind of doesn't, you know, the curtain gets pulled away and you lose the magic of his ability to really, you know, portray that character with the same level of menace, I suppose. But I think they do a good enough job of like sprinkling little moments like that throughout all of the films, more or less, maybe not the fourth film, but at least in the previous two. I feel like I wouldn't want them to do it without Tony Perkins because he, he is like, he does feel like fucking Norman. Um, and I mean like Freddie Highmore did, did a fine job in Bates Motel, but, um, I, I just feel like Tony Perkins is Norman and to revisit that character and to really explore him in the way that I would want to in complete embodiment of the character would be to do a Tony Perkins impression. And I don't love it. I, I actually, I actually despise it when, someone is just doing an impression of another actor. Sure. It's like, man, just make it your own thing. Like I, I mean, don't do psycho ever again, Vince Vaughn, but like, let's let's, are you going to do <laughs> psycho remake next? <laughs> yeah. So next week I'm doing a psycho remake with my buddy Neil. And then the following week, I'm going to do a solo review of uh, Bates motel. Cause I don't want to, subject anybody to that tv movie oh wow dude Um, (laughs) i i you know i really respect gus van sant um and it's fucking ballsy dude who knows (laughs) who knows if if what he did is like him claiming that uh, i remade it so no one else could and he there's like some sentiment that he did it on purpose that he made this like really bad psycho remake that's pretty shot for shot um there's definitely some differences um but like people are like, yeah, he, he made a bad movie to prove you shouldn't remake classics. Um, if he did that man fucking respect. Cause that's, that's ballsy. <laughs> that, that's like Sam I, Raimi, Spider-Man three levels of balls. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will say, you know, I don't necessarily think that we need any more psycho films, but if they were to make one last psycho film about a aging, you know, Norman Bates, because the way that this film ends it's kind of like he wanders off into the sunset. I think they should bring back Henry Thomas um, and they should have Mike Flanagan direct him because between Henry Thomas nailing some of the mannerisms of Norman and, you know, capturing that, you know, the awkwardness, but then at the same time, I think about, you know, the scene when he's watching uh, his mother and her lover basically choke to death on the poison and the camera cuts between them, you know, choking and vomiting and then it cuts to him in the doorway and he's like, anxious he's He's, almost like biting his nails and he's like smiling but then he's grimacing yeah he's going full goblin mode yeah (laughs) and i just love that because it shows this kind of breaking the mold of what you expect norman to be or what you know i suppose norman's perception at that young age and just showing like oh this is his true origin of him coming out on you know dealing with all that trauma and whatnot and getting his revenge but then ultimately that's uh you know, I suppose his downfall, even though he doesn't seem to have many consequences because he keeps getting out of all of these psych wards. But I guess that's my final thought is that Henry Thomas should be the only person allowed to play Norman Bates. Not that uh, I think we necessarily need to see another performance because nobody's going to live up to Anthony Perkins, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my immediate thought, I thought you were going to say Oz Perkins. Um, oh, <laughs> I know Oz Perkins isn't like um, as big of an actor as he's a director. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Oz Perkins is a fabulous director. Um, oh yeah. I, I just don't think I've seen him act. 
That's why I he he was in Legally admitted. Blonde. You missed that. He one. was in Nope. <laughs> he was in Nope. He was uh, really. I think he was. Uh, I don't know if he was the director or just a crew member at the scene with the oh. horse, but he was he was there, um, and he also was in a film with Gary Busey. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was in a film with Gary Busey called Quigley, which is about um, this like billionaire uh, Gary Busey character. Um, he dies and God is like, hey man, you were a bad dude. I'm sending you back to Earth as a Pomeranian. Um, <laughs> but the, what the fuck? I, That's I don't, the most Gary Busey shit I've ever heard. Dude, it, but like, I don't, I don't remember if people see him as a Pomeranian or if people just see him as Gary Busey acting like a Pomeranian. But you watch oh the movie God. and it's Gary Busey acting like a dog and Oz Perkins. Oz Perkins has second billing in this movie. Yeah, because he's the... <laughs> he's like the sidekick to... I guess the sidekick <laughs> to Quigley. It's a bizarre right. fucking movie. Um, yeah, this poster is probably one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a... a Oh, I just I just learned that it's like a Christian comedy, so I guess it's like funded. Oh, that, uh, that explains a lot. It it is it is a wild thing to watch. It is like best of the worst, like Hall of Fame. It is really good. <laughs> um, yeah. So so he doesn't act a lot, um, but he has been in a few things. He's I don't know. Have you seen Legally Blonde? I've not. No. I've so he is he is a like. Um, He's like a, a he's like the the dumb guy in Legally Blonde, but he's like dumb heart of soul guy in Legally mm. Blonde, and uh, he's he's like friends with Reese Witherspoon at some point. But um, his movies are great. Um, oh yeah, no, I'm a big fan of his movies. Black Coat's Daughter, uh, Gretel and Hansel. Yeah, I even kind of dug. Uh, I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. I didn't think that was his. That's probably my least favorite of his. But right. at the same time, he has a great ability to create these sort of haunting atmospheres that are engaging. And it's nice to see with like Gretel and Hansel, his sort of visual style, I guess, gets to be a little more psychedelic almost, which there's sort of an inkling of in uh, Black Coat's Daughter, but it's nice to see, you know, him really get to uh, kind of flourish in that regard with a bit of a bigger budget. Yeah. Um, looks like his next movie is with Nicolas Cage. Uh, that sounds long cool. Leg. Long, yeah, legs. long legs. That's dope. <laughs> Uh, it seems very not horror, but that's a, uh, oh, it's about a serial killer. I love There you go. Um, yeah, yeah, he, he's, he's someone that I want to see more of. And, um, I think it would be cool if he directed a new psycho. Um, but I, I don't need it. Like if, if he, right. he probably, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, that's the weird thing about Hollywood is like, everyone's like, Oh, how about the kid of the father that was in the famous movie? Does it? And it's like, Oh, maybe the, <laughs> maybe the kid's like, I don't want to be like, tracing my dad's footsteps right. you know um but uh yeah and, and of course like tony perkins the the tragic life of being in the closet most of his life all of his life maybe i i don't know the exact specifics but i know that mm. um it was like a known thing in hollywood that tony perkins was gay um and um ended up dying of aids unfortunately and uh survived by his um wife and kids oz and elvis 
and his wife uh, Barry Berenson. Do you know? Do you know what happened to Barry Berenson? I do. Yeah, didn't she pass away on nine eleven? She was on one of those she, flights. Yeah, she was. She was in flight eleven. Um, and that's got to be like, like what a what a tragic like family, you know, Hollywood history. Um, sad. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it, it's it's. it's 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 a real bummer. It's a real bummer after Psycho Four for for that family. I mean, it has a place because you're talking about this career, this storied career that was cut so short and was able to make such a large impact that you can't not talk about the sort of tragic nature of the sudden ending of that life and whatnot. Because you not only you know, of course, in addition to wanting them to see a long, fulfilling life, but at the same time wonder what the rest of their career could have looked like as they got older. Not to say, you know, oh, more psycho, but I mean, just in general. Well, I, I would have loved to have seen him direct more Tony Perkins. Yeah, no, I mean, either directing, whether in front or behind the camera, and just seeing that creativity flourish in as many ways as possible. And I mean, in doing the series review, it makes me want to go back and see some of other, uh, some of his other films, which I've never seen. Granted, the only thing I'd seen him in previously was the original Psycho, but now going through his filmography and picking out, you know, making a point to pick out a few that I can uh, check out and just see a little more of his range. Because if he's able to do, you know, it's, I suppose it's double-edged sword, right? It's a shame that he gets typecast for one role when he had a filmography that spanned, you know, I think it was like two decades or three decades or something. Um, and uh, granted, this might just be my limited knowledge of his background. Four like, decades. Four decades. There you go. See, he's even got uh, a larger filmography than I knew. So it is the type of thing where it's like, I need to go back now and see what his range actually was because I only know him as, you know, the psycho films, Norman Bates and whatnot. And by all indications, you know, he was a wildly talented, creative person that, you know, I'm excited now to kind of check out the rest of his filmography. And it's a shame that, uh, you know, he his uh, run was cut short after, you know, four decades is nothing to you know, turn your nose up at, but at the same time, you can't not be like, well, in some ways, maybe he was just getting started. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's rough, man. Um, the, uh, like such a, I, I mean, like I, we definitely said this during the psycho two podcast, but what character there, there aren't many characters other than like comic book characters and, you know, these, these uh, mythological figures in, in American pop culture, but like I, there aren't many movie characters more iconic than Norman Bates or locations like the Bates motel. Um, like th th that is still a stop on the universal studios tour. And that's, it's, it's a fucking movie that like, when you look at the landscape of movies today, like fast and furious, Marvel, Disney, star Wars, it's like, Psycho is so far gone from all of that stuff that it's like, it's crazy that that has still penetrated the mainstream consciousness. And obviously we, a big part of these podcasts we've talked about is that a lot of people don't even know that there's a sequel to Psycho. Um, but I mean, for us that do, and for us that love these movies and, um, I mean, I love Psycho 2 and Psycho, um, I, I, I have a heart for Psycho three and four. That is like I, I don't want to say I don't like them, even even if I don't find Psycho four particularly interesting. 
um or fun to watch like there are definitely moments that i i will quote but you know what i mean i it's it's the these movies are um like they're, they're penetrative of like this fucking crazy culture that we have that should have nothing to do with psycho should have nothing to do with um any of this thing you know what i mean and 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 it's a fucking stop on a fucking disneyland tour like it's it's crazy it's crazy and and i feel like all of that is is tony perkins and that house um and it's it's truly wild and i i raised my glass to this fucking series because that is a really wild thing to do um like I, I, well, who knows? I, I don't want to speak out of line. Like, oh, I bet if you go to a small town in Germany, they'd be able to tell you about Bates Motel or whatever. But, um, from a visual standpoint of the original movie, they probably could. I yeah. mean, if that that shower scene is one of those things that is iconic to the degree that you know they the music, the music. But I mean, even just that predicament of you know getting murdered in the shower, like you've they've made commercials that reference that. And it's like just on TV, just normally, right? And it's kind of this thing that it's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, Psycho. And even if you don't know it's Psycho, you're like, oh, that's that famous horror movie, which at the same time, even if you can't remember the name of it, it's like there's how many, you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of movies out there. And it's the type of thing where it's like you can pick that genre out based on that one scene that speaks to just how iconic it is and whatnot. And yeah, you know, I think that in going through this series, and while I would probably describe four also as boring, um, I don't necessarily think that it's necessarily bad because it has those performances that, you know, if you're invested in horror, if you're invested in psycho and it's the type of thing where it's like, yeah, if you sit through that film, it lacks the grading nature of some sequels, specifically, you know, sequels that struggle to justify their own existence. And if you're able to make it through those moments, which are, you know, boring, but I wouldn't say by any stretch of the means like terrible, you get these great performances that make you more invested in the film overall, maybe not so much like specific scene, but just like overall, it makes for something that I didn't necessarily feel like, oh, this was a waste of time. I was like, oh no, that was like some strong performances that kind of came out of nowhere and ultimately caught me off guard because of the fact that, you know, it is this made for TV movie and it's got two of the best performances I think in the entire series. Um, and you know, I, I wouldn't say that if somebody asked me, is there any bad psycho sequels? I would say, no, I would say, you know, with three, I think that, um, three was a film that feels very different stylistically that I really appreciate about that movie. And it has heart for Norman in a way that, you know, is absent from the previous two movies. And with this one, I mean, again, it's all about the performances. Um, but I think, yeah, ultimately, it's nice to see, you know, the through line, not only of Norman or of uh, Tony Perkins, right? Reprising that role, which is incredible. The fact that they were able to get him for each of the films and whatnot, and that each film makes a conscious decision to explore different parts of that character who could have just very easily, you know, lived and died by the first movie and just been a guy that dresses up as his mother and murders women, right? And I think that it's, a remarkable feat that they were able to make three sequels with him that just explore different facets, whether that be his character or narratively speaking as a whole. Um, I just find that to be a quality that Psycho should get more credit for and seemingly does not. 
Um, again, you know, anybody that I've talked to over the last month, other than, you know, you and my two other guests were completely oblivious to the fact that there were four psycho films, let alone two psycho films. Um, and I think that that's something that hopefully when, you know, we're seeing it with psycho too, hopefully in the future, when people are, you know, doing these retrospectives or just these reappraisals get to see maybe a little more light shown on the last two films, not as being these standouts of like the pillars of horror sequels, but films that have a little more merit, uh, I think, than maybe their, you know, Rotten Tomato scores would indicate uh, when you Google the movie. Yeah. And uh, man, yeah, it's, it's uh, Alfred Hitchcock's shadow is, is long, but um, there's so much more to Psycho. Um, I, I feel much more connected to the Tony Perkins part of Psycho than the Alfred Hitchcock part. Um and and yeah, like you said, like I I wouldn't I don't think I I would have the heart to say there's a bad Psycho sequel um, of the main four anyway. Um, it's it's just something that that I just like too much. And 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 we've we've gone on and on about Anthony Perkins. We're really trying to stretch this Psycho four episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I have more to say about Psycho four, but it, it's it's just all it's all Tony Perkins. It's all the heart that he puts into those characters. It's his supporting cast. Um, like I I love Meg Tilly, uh, so much. Um, that that's a fucking tragic fucking tale in Psycho two. Uh, I love Jeff Fahey. He's a complete fucking mm. scumbag weirdo loser. <laughs> um, uh, I, oh man, the, the, who's the actress in Psycho three? Um, you said Meg Tilly, right? Yeah, that's Psycho Two. Uh, oh, Diana Scarwin. Um, she plays Maureen, and she's she's fantastic. I love her character. It's it's uh, you know, it's it's another one of those man. Like I just fucking I want Norman to have a happy ending. Um, <laughs> I love the sheriff. He returns in Psycho Three. He's so fucking good. That sheriff. Um, yeah, Hugh Gillen. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, obviously in this movie, Olivia Hussey, CCH Pounder, um, Warren Frost, all these people. Um, oh, and if, uh, fucking Henry Thomas. Um, uh, every time I'm about to say Henry Thomas, I want to say Elliot because of ET. <laughs> yep, yep. Doesn't matter what I'm I've... talking about. I always <laughs> stop myself from saying Elliot. Um, and just a fantastic supporting cast that like really builds this story into something that I think is a lot more um, human than a lot of people would think of psycho. Um, mm. I don't know why the wife would be just cool with Norman after what she did to her at the end of psycho four. She's like, Oh, yeah. I, I convinced him like you're a medical right. professional. You know, you would yeah. immediately put him back in the hospital. <laughs> To be fair, she shacked up with a guy that has been yes. uh, committed multiple times. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the nature of the made-for-TV sort of ending, right? The fact that they don't really know how to wrap this up. They're not going to do anything that's going to cause like a big wave, I suppose, in the uh, the Norman Bates lore, if you will. Because uh, if they made another sequel, they know that they would just retcon it like they did with this one or with the previous film. And yeah, it's the type of thing where it's like, it's not necessarily a fitting ending, but at the same time, what could a fitting ending really be? I suppose him being committed yet again, um, seemingly that's that never ending uh, cycle of his, but it's the type of thing where it's like, just going to end it. And I suppose 
it's the least offensive ending that they could have gone with. Yeah, and then of course I'm sure they wanted to do sequels. Um and then obviously what happened happened. Um but uh I I, I actually it, it has a fantastic ending. It's like a for the the Norman, let me out of here. Oh. Let me out <laughs> yeah. and then the uh it's <laughs> It's kind of similar to my fly idea for Psycho 2, where it then cuts to black and then you hear the baby cry. Um, (laughs) I have to say, you know, you made a comment earlier just about how it feels like it is a TV movie. And the amount of times that the host for the radio show, like, reiterates the interview, who she's talking to, what they're all talking about. It's like, I could see like three or four different commercial breaks oh, queued yeah, up man. for those moments. Cause it just, it keeps happening and happening and happening. I'm like, fuck, if this is not indicative of a made for TV movie. Did it play with commercials when it first aired? I believe, well, it was on Showtime. Yeah, I'm not. But then again, again, like, I feel like there are certain moments that are edited that feel like they would be primed for that. But at the same time, it's on Showtime and I couldn't imagine Showtime would ever have commercials. That's a good question. Yeah. Cause I know that, um, I know like the broadcast of it originally was, uh, hosted by Janet Lee, um, which that doesn't make it like, we don't have those fancy movie channels in Canada. We just have like a movie channel that plays a movie um, but like, I, I always heard of these stories of like, oh yeah, the actor's hosting this TV movie. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> so I don't even know how that, if she showed up in the middle, like, oh, Norman's in trouble. But like, right. I, I would love to see that footage. Cause, um, I don't think it's on the shout factory release of psycho four. You know, normally the way that they do those, it's like, I'm thinking of, uh, the TCM, movie marathons that they do where they have some movie expert introduce and then, you know, shares a fact or two and then ends the the segment with the same type of roundup thing. Um, but that is a good question. I wonder if that's on YouTube actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to look that up because that is something that uh, I, I would just like to see because I, I want to know how it was presented because um, especially by Janet Lee, which is such a wild, wild get, um, interesting get. Uh, but then again, I don't know who else you would get to present it. Um, and at that point too, it's like getting up there, maybe not working as much. It's like, oh, this is an easy gig. It's like, like do an introductory segment and outro get her out of the home. And, yeah, <laughs> put her exactly. in front of a camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. But no, man, it has been great. Not only chatting about uh, what is like the standout element of Psycho 4, but getting to go down, uh, you know, memory lane, I suppose, with the entire series and whatnot and chatting with me about what makes it so special and a standout uh, as a horror series that, you know, I think we can both agree does not get nearly enough uh, credit or even, you know, mention, I suppose, when people discuss sequels. I think this all could have been prevented if someone at the hospital is like, wait a second, Norma, you're naming your son Norman? Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> Nah, sorry, you're not leaving. <laughs> you're st- <laughs> straight to fucking jail. That is the yep. most weird shit. <laughs> that is the weird. Very, very Listen, weird. Listen, if some, if I, if I ever meet a, that's the kind of girl. It's like, oh shit, I just had a kid with this fucking woman. Like that's fucking <laughs> insane. That is some insane shit. 
So <laughs> all could have been prevented at the fucking hospital if those goddamn hospital workers were doing their goddamn job. Jesus Christ. This this series does not cast medical professionals in the uh, the best of life. Oh, they're bad. In, in these, <laughs> they're about as bad as Norman is at burning down houses. Yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, but yes, you can you can listen to my sultry voice on The Nuclear Fridge, which is a podcast where uh, me and a couple buddies, Jacob Decker and Stuart Gears, we we uh, gab about all sorts of things, um, mainly movies, but also fast food and other dumb junk that we we just were like, ah, this pissed me off. You know, it was stupid. I saw it. And then we go off on it for about an hour. Um, Jay's been on it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, if you want to see something really cool, we did a horror movie draft um, weeks and weeks ago. That was a lot of fun. We're going to do more of those because that was probably... Uh, our favorite format for um, our like weird tournaments that we do with movies. Um, that was a ton of fun. That was a, a lot of fun. Not only uh, chatting about movies, but like the game of, you know, somebody takes your pick and then it's like, oh fuck, now I got to like either pick from my list or, oh no, somebody picked that for a different category and just like the mad scramble and sort of the hilarity that can ensue from that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and there are definitely a couple of times where I would say, uh, I think I picked Psycho 2. No, wait, I didn't. I don't know what happened. Did, did you pick it for Slasher, maybe? I may maybe. have. Um, yeah, so I don't even remember what I picked. But I definitely remember picking things and then going, fuck, I should have picked that thing that my <laughs> friend picked after me. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun, and, and you guys should check it out. So definitely do that. Can't recommend it enough. And uh, yeah, man, thank you again. Of course. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.